Maybe there is a key that is connected to openness, that is often connected to being in a difficult place that allows God to move in ways that maybe we wouldn't have allowed him to move otherwise. All I know is that our places of confinement don't need to be the defining moments for us of our life. God has a flow of life for us. And my prayer, my earnest prayer, is that as we look at his word, that there would come a movement of his life in us so that we live our lives for him better. No matter what lies ahead, we cannot control it. I cannot predict it. Many people have different opinions. I cannot know. It's beyond me. What I do know is God is real and God is here. And he wants to meet us and know us and he has love for us to engage. A life flow. I have come, he said, that you might have life and have it abundant and overflowing. So this is what we're going to do. Now, I was thinking about this series. You know, it's a series that is designed to take us all the way to Easter. So we're on a long trek. We're starting weeks out, and we're making our way to the celebration of life, to the celebration of the one who gave his life and gives us life. Along this way, we're going to stop and look at different parts of the scriptures, look at the words of Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at actually something a little bit different. We're going to look at a prayer or words that were given by the Apostle Paul when he was in a prison in a cell, in a place of confinement. It was a house arrest, but nonetheless, he was not free. And he wrote a letter to, as he was wont to do, to the churches that he had started, the places where he had planted, as he said, the gospel, where it had begun to flourish, where people gathered together to form a church. There were cities. In fact, you read the New Testament, these books, Corinthians, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, these are These are books, letters, epistles written to churches in those cities, in those regions. The city of Philippi, and we're going to, I'll put a a map up because this is what we're going to kind of be looking at here, just to give a little geographical sense of where Philippi is. When we read the book of Philippians, when we read this letter that was written to the Philippians, Paul's talking about a church that he had planted, the first church in Europe that he plants, um, Philippi. Quite an amazing thing. Uh, he, this city was a key city, a crucial city. You can see it, it's kind of messy, the, the map, but you can kind of see the, the Rome, the, where Rome is, the, the boot of Italy there, right? And then it gives you a reference point to where Philippi is. This is, the, this is the church. These are the group of people he's writing to in that city. It was a portal city. It was a Roman colony. It, was, uh, it had rights as a, a city uh, that were different than other cities that Rome may have overseen because there were so many Roman citizens who lived there. It was considered an entry point towards Rome crucial key geographical location in that day. It's interesting because Paul's uh, intention was not originally to start a church there. He had his mindset in other, other directions. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. I just wanted us to get a reference point for where this is being written to. A church in Philippi, not on, around the Aegean Sea, close to the Mediterranean Sea, a portal, into, a portal to Rome. All right, let's look at Philippians 1 together. This passage, which emanates so much of what it is we're talking about, about real life in God. All right, Paul writes this um, to the believers there. He starts out his letter, Paul and Timothy. This is Philippians 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul and Timothy, by the way, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. That is, he, he was a younger man than Paul. Paul was Jewish. Timothy was was half Jewish and half Greek. His father was Greek. 
his mother was Jewish. She was a Jewish believer. And Paul had struck up a very dear relationship with young Timothy, and he was mentoring him. And there was a deep love, like a, like a love of a son and a father. And he brought him with him on many occasions. And in fact, on the occasion when this church began, Timothy was with Paul. And so there is this real feeling of love and connection. He says, Paul and Timothy, he starts his letter to them. Again, he's writing to them from a place of confinement under house arrest, awaiting a trial, by the way, for a capital offense for his faith. He was going to have an opportunity to stand before the maniac, um, fanatical emperor who was who is infamous, Nero. And uh, we know that Paul would ultimately um, lose his life giving his testimony. He would be killed and put to death. But he, he is writing in a place of waiting. So one of the things that his confinement allowed him to do was write these letters. So he couldn't get there. He, he wasn't free to move, but he could write. And he wrote letters to address issues in the churches. This was one of the letters. Paul, so he says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants. That is, bondservant, we would almost say a, a slave of Jesus Christ. But not by constraint, not by anything against my will. But I am a willing a willing, surrendered servant of the Lord, he says. This is what we are. And he says, to all the saints who in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. When you read a word like that, saint, a lot of times when we think of saint, we think of, wow, those are the really special people, the real elite. Um, they're a saint, you know. But the Bible uses the term saint all the time to refer to people who are just believers in Jesus, who are set apart under the Lord, is what it literally means, to be um, open to his work and purposes. In that sense, anyone who truly believes and has welcomed Christ in is a saint. Paul says, to you who are believers in Christ Jesus in Philippi, with all the bishops and deacons, your leaders in the church, he says, then he gives them this great opening blessing. He says, grace to you and peace. What is grace? It's a word quite often sung about, used, referred to. Paul, it was an eminently Pauline word. He used it all the time. And this was one of his common ways of saying, grace and peace to you. Well, what did that mean? Grace, the loving kindness of God, the, the indescribable love of God, may it shine upon you. May his grace, may the goodness of the Lord be with you in this moment. And his peace, may his settledness dwell in your heart. May it, may it cover you, may it affect all of you, the wholeness of God. It, it had to do with this idea, you know, a lot of times um, our minds are troubled. And so many times our issues are just things we're thinking about and wrestling with and we're, we're, we're anticipating what may go wrong or how we're going to solve this issue. And the, the blessing of peace, it's, it's the ability to bring, to bring a settled place into our mind. And he says, I, 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 I pray God's grace over you and I pray God's peace over you. I pray that his goodness would prevail over your life and I pray that his peace would be in your life. So you see this great blessing being given by the apostle. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. Now, perhaps in his mind as he's writing these words, and we really can't appreciate it unless we go back in time, because Paul's probably pulling back in time, thinking about that moment when this church actually began. Some of you may want to actually check it out later in Acts 16, where Paul talks about how this church, where we're told through the account that is, occurs through Luke and Paul and their travels in the book of Acts, there's this account of how the church began. It was actually, it began with a dream. 
Paul was on his way to another location. He wasn't planning on going to Philippi. But he has this dream, we're told. And in this dream, he sees a man. And the man is from Macedonia. He can tell either by his accent or his dress. And he says in his dream, in his vision that he has, this man says, come and help us. So Paul sees this as something that God is directing him to do. So he turns and he heads towards Macedonia. Philippi is named, by the way, after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedonia. And that city, that town, that place, that region, that colony is where he goes. He has no idea. He just senses the Lord is telling him to go there. That this is the place he is to go first. As he breaks into Europe with the good news of Jesus. Up until this point, it hasn't happened. And he starts something. He starts a movement. It is an opening movement. He gets to Philippi. His custom usually was to go to a synagogue. There weren't any. You needed 10 men to have a synagogue, 10 Jewish men. There weren't evidently enough there, so, but there was a gathering by the river. But there was a gathering of, of Jewish women and Gentile believers in God. And they were gathered on the Sabbath day by a river. And he had heard about that gathering, and they were in prayer. And he shows up there, and he talks to them about Jesus. One of the ladies there named Lydia, who was, interestingly enough, a businesswoman, were told that she was a seller of purple, Purple is a dye. She sold, uh, it was a dye that was found in her home region of Thyatira. Um, it was a special, unique color. That, and so she sold commodities that, were, you, that used this particular dye, this purple. She was a seller of purple goods. She had set up a business in Philippi and was an obviously a successful businesswoman, but also a believer in God. And so she, the Bible tells us, the first person, think about this, as he moves into Europe, the first person to actually open her heart, it says she opened up, the scripture, you read it, it says she opened up her heart to the Lord. And all, she and all her household, whether that was, whether she was a widow and those were referring to the children and those attached to her house, or whether it was just referring to those who were attached as servants and extensions of her house, but it says her entire household believed as well and was baptized with her. So the, the first beginning movement, so God has this divine appointment set up. Then you read through the book, of, book in that 16th chapter and you see that the next person that gets miraculously saved, there's this whole issue that occurs around the Philippian jailer. He, he decides to receive the message of Jesus. And so this church begins with a woman named Lydia, a few others, a, a jailkeeper, and they begin the church of Philippi. And we're told how it starts and these people and who received the word of the Lord. This is the beginning movement. It's always impressed me that, this, that, that it begins with a businesswoman who was a lover of God and open. And it fascinated me, actually. The seller of purple opens her heart. And so as I was thinking about that, so that, okay, that's who... He's writing to because he's thinking back in time to how God set this. You know, some of us are products of divine appointments. God sent someone our way at a key time and our heart opened up. I was talking to a man on Friday night. He was telling me how he came here first. He was very closed, he said. But now he says, my heart is open. He, he said, I'm starting to, uh, I made my decision to begin to open and draw closer to God and I'm reading the Bible, and I, I was just really impressed with the openness. And I thought, and then I reminded about how the Bible says in Acts 16 that Lydia opened up her heart to Paul and the words of the good news of Jesus. 
and she believed, and she was baptized. And, and I was just thinking, this, okay, so this is, those are the people he's writing to. He, he, they were so faithful to him. They, were, they supported him in their prayers. Look what he says. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, I thank the Lord for you. In fact, always in every prayer of mine, I make requests for you all with joy. In fact, every time I think about who you I also, when I think about you, I ask God to bless you. you, Whenever I think of you, my heart is encouraged. I'm reminded of your faithfulness and your love for me and your loyalty, he says. And even now in my chains as I am here, awaiting who knows what, but an opportunity is presented to me to talk about the Lord into the places of the highest power, whatever God has for me. He says, but I think of you and my heart rejoices. I have a memory of you and an appreciation for you and a love for you and for that faith that began so, in such a small, tender way and now has grown to a point where you are a people who have loved me, you have supported me, you have, been, you have resourced me, you've allowed me to do the things that God has put in my heart. He's just talking to them. He's, he's expressing his heart to them. He's telling them how special they are to him. He says, listen, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. You know, I make requests for you all with joy and for your fellowship in the gospel. You know, I think back even to that first day, he says, even until now, how faithful you have been. What a blessing you have been to me. It's beautiful. And then he goes on to say this. And then one of the great verses of of the New Testament here, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, this idea that God, who has begun this good work in you, you know, I will be, Paul said, I will be gone. I will not see you again. But remember this, the one who began this work in you, even though God used, he says, used me to bring it, he goes, really, it's God. And he who began this work in you will complete it in you. Rest assured. And then he goes on to say, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, why? Because I have you in my heart Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. In other words, you are in my heart. You stood with me. You supported with me. You know what he's implying? He's saying, whatever I have done for the Lord, and he, did, he went everywhere spreading the good news of Christ, establishing churches, building communities. People received him in the Gentile world. Um, Jewish believers came and also supported, coming together, Jew and Gentile, following the Lord. And he, wherever he went... He, he would say to them that those who support me, those who have been praying with me, those who have been worried, you, whatever I do for the Lord, you are partakers in it. You share in it. We do this together because that is a connection. We're interwoven. Um, there is this sense of shared blessing. You know what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that when we invest in someone, when we believe in someone, when we support someone, we're, when we support a work, we're blessing that. We're participating in it. It actually matters. Paul is expressing his heart. He's saying, look, you have stood with me all the way through these years, and I, I just am so grateful to you. Okay, that's the gist of this. And there's so much joy in this letter. There's so much appreciation. Now, what, what can we take from that? What do I, here's what I, what I like to sort of bring to the table. And we're talking about life and relationships and making our way through things. And so I'm going to suggest, firstly, and I'm just going to use the banner of true life as a way of approaching it. True, that true life is found, and I'm using this letter as an impetus. True life is found when we learn to appreciate others. And that may sound simple, but when we learn to express 
our love and appreciation for people who are a blessing to us. One of the things I really like about this, this opening of the letter is that, you know, the same Paul, he was not afraid to rebuke. He was a truth teller. He would get in people's uh, kitchens, you know. He would talk hard truth. He would not pretend there wasn't a problem when there was a problem. There were a lot of times where there were issues that would come up in these churches and they needed, they, they needed to be addressed and people were being so loving and passive that there was a lot of um, things that were unhealthy that were happening and Paul would have to be the bad guy, as it were, and say, this cannot go on this way because it's going to ultimately undermine the purposes of Jesus and it's going to hurt a whole lot of people as well. We must address it. He couldn't always get there, so he had to write these letters and they would be taken and given to the churches and the churches would read them and now we have the benefit of reading them as well and their life to us. God used them and spoke to us through them. But, you know, he, he was a person who was capable of telling hard truth. This was not a person who used flowery words casually. He didn't walk around trying to get on people's good side. That was not his way. That's not how he comes across. But you know what? There's such a genuineness of love and appreciation for his, this church in Philippi that you can feel it coming out of him. He feels like he has to speak these words to encourage them and, and let them know. It's like he's letting them know. You know, there are times when we need to let people know what they mean to us that there are, there are times where it's more important than just thinking. I was talking to my wife about um, a person who, we, who had died a few years ago. And we were reminiscing weeks back about the, how things were in those final days. And we often talked, and you know, we said, you know, it's amazing what really matters at the end of a life. And uh, even now, having observed a lot of things, people rarely talk about their possessions and contracts and businesses and all that stuff. It's people. It's people. It's God. Um, it's a reminder of what really matters. Um, it's, it's, it's about what I need to say to you. It's about my love for you. It's about how much you mean to me. It's about how much I'll miss you. All these things. And, and um, you know, a lot of us, we need to be more prodigal with our expressions of love and our words of encouragement. We don't really, I think, often understand when someone needs to hear that they are a blessing to us. Again, Paul is saying, every time I think of you, I, I lift you up in prayer. I want you to know that. I pray for you. Think about that. He said, I want you to know that you are in my prayers. When I think of you, it brings joy to my heart. I pray blessing over your life. I pray that God would complete this work that he's begun in you. I pray that you would not be turned away from what you've, what you've started. I pray that this good thing that has happened in you, this openness of heart that characterized you from the very beginning and your willingness to stand with me and support this work and be a believer in our Lord, sharing in what this work is all about. He says, I pray that you would grow continually over the years, that the grace of God and the peace of God would rest over your life. You know what, there are times, I think, when people come to our mind, Maybe we just need to speak a blessing over their life. Um, a power. You know what? There are people in this church that I have come to know as amazing encouragers. And they write notes. Uh, periodically, I'll see someone say, you know, I was thinking about you and I was praying for you and the Lord put you on my heart and I just want you to know and they put a verse in there or something. You know what? You know sometimes what a blessing that is to us? Um, do you know what it is to hear someone who's praying for us? Maybe? You know, there was a period earlier on in my, um, 
ministry, and I, I share this every now and then because it was impactful to me. I was, uh, actually it was about 20 years ago now. I was, uh, af- after a service, I was, I was only what, you know, I'd been barely into a year as, as the pastor. My mentor was not only gone, he had died. I felt very alone, and the church, instead of just growing with their new 25-year-old pastor, was uh, going in the opposite direction, right? And I felt very discouraged. Um, and I remember, I remember going up into that room after a service. It was after the service. And I remember going up there, and I'm sitting in what is now it's the harvest room. It was my first office. And I was sitting up there, and I was just sitting behind the desk, and I was just feeling very discouraged. But somebody had put a note in the offering plate that, that wasn't the only thing they put in, the note. But they, they, they <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but honestly, the, 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 the gift that they gave w- w- actually was very meaningful. And it was, it was something that was not common at the, for who we were then. But the bigger, the bigger issue for me was not the gift. It was what was attached to it. And um, I had never met this person, and they had no idea what was going on in my heart. At least I didn't think they did. But they wrote a note, and I still periodically keep it every now, 20 years ago. And it said, today, um, visiting your church for the first time, the Lord spoke to me. And he goes on to talk about what he was supposed to do. He felt like the Lord wanted him to do. And then he said, in his service, wrote his name, said a few more things about the future, what he believed the Lord was doing among us. And then he said, first the blade. Then he put a verse. He said, first the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. And he said, those, he says, remember those before you who have inherited the promises, dot, 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 through faith and patience. And then, the Lord is encouraging you today. And it hit me, I tell you, I, I believe I wept that day, but it was, a, it was gratitude. Somebody who I didn't know was listening to the Lord and, gave, and sent a word of encouragement in a direction that hit me squarely where I was and enormously blessed me and strengthened my hand to move forward. You say, well, quit being a baby. You know, what do you need to do? You know why? Because we all periodically need to know that we are believed in, that God is with us. There are times where we don't always make the right decisions, and we need the Lord to be with us and stick with us, and we need people who love us. And, and look, that is just, it's, what I'm saying is, if somebody's coming to your mind and you, and you feel like, you know what, I'm thinking of them, they're a blessing to me in this life, tell them, send a word. Be, be a person who blessed, be like Paul. Bless people with our words. They, I thank the Lord for you. You mean so much to me. So the first thing I notice is that it has to do with learning how to express our, I see it in this letter, true life is found when we learn to be a blessing with our words and our thoughts. Secondly, 
True life is also connected to something else. And it's connected to, and you can see it, it comes out so clearly here, it's something about be, it being greater than our confinement and suffering. And I don't know why this hit me so hard, but I was sitting with it and I was thinking about it. I was going, you know, Lord, here is Paul. He is in prison. He doesn't have his freedom. He is bound up. He is stuck. He, he is suffering. He has his, his opportunity to just live his life. He doesn't have it. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And yet he is the one telling the people who are free to be encouraged, be filled with joy. God is with you. Don't get down. I mean, it's this amazing thing. The one is, who is in confinement, and yet he's totally free, filled with the life of God. And then you know why that hit me? Because I was thinking about it. There are a lot of things in life that would confine us. And when they hit us, we feel like we are not free. We are bound, we are stuck, we are being hindered. It's not coming through, it's not turning the way we wanted. Now what? We, we, and you know what? It's a hard, in that place, it is hard. It's hard to keep a good attitude. And yet I'm amazed at what this man, in his prison, he is not defeated. In his place of confinement, he is unhindered. He, is the, he who has no reason to do it is giving out the blessing pouring out the blessing, shooting out the blessing, sending out the blessing, encouraging them. Be filled with the goodness of God. Let the peace of God reign over you. Let his grace be with you. You know, let the, let the joy of the Lord fill your life. Don't forget that he is with you. He will help you. He will be there. He will complete the work that he's begun. I mean, you can just feel it coming out. I thank the Lord for you. I pray for you. You're in my thoughts. Not about why I'm in my bad situation. Why did God let this happen to me? Where is God showing up for me? You don't hear it. You don't hear it. It's not there. There's the, the choice is made in the confinement to bless. And I'm going to say that for some of us, God is calling. Let the pressure come. Let it, we can't stop it anyway. Well, how are we going to respond to it? What's our attitude going to be? I'm not saying I don't ever feel it. What I am saying is we have a model. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. An example. You know what? Choose to be a blesser not to be bitter. Choose to be a person who says, I am free in Christ. Lord, fill me with your life. I have no idea what you're going to do, but this time that is difficult may be one of the most wonderful blessings of my life. I am open, God, and more than that, I am a funnel. I am a funnel for blessing in life, and I'm going to send it out in more ways than I would have even before. That's my choice. That's what Paul was doing. In the middle of a prison cell, the life of God flowing right out of him and strengthening and encouraging other people. Why? Here's the last piece. Because he believed something. He believed that no matter whatever happened, God abides faithful. And this is a key. True life will always be anchored in the faithfulness of God. That true life in God is anchored in the faithfulness of God. That when we live our life in a way that we believe that God is with us, that we trust the Lord is with us. Listen, there are times when we are our own worst enemy. There are, it's, it's hard. There are some wounds of life that are very difficult to bear when they are given to us at the hands of others. But, the, but there are also wounds of life that are self-inflicted. And frequently, and I've taught to people who are so beaten down because they feel they have failed. And it's a very bitter, it's hard to get past that. When we have inflicted our own wound by our own willfulness. And in those places when we're tempted to give up on ourselves and we're tempted, that's what we sang about. When you think it's over. We're tempted, we just don't have the heart to move on. We're stuck, we're confined, we're beaten down, broken. That in that, there God will be. Listen, he tethers himself. You know what tethered? He, he ties himself to us. 
That means even when I'm drifting off into it, but he, it's like the rope, it's holes, taut. But God is there. He won't let us go. The amazing thing about this relationship with the Lord is we can run from him, but he won't let us go. He'll stay with us. He is, bless his name, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Our Lord is near. You know what Paul does by the end of this letter? He might be worth reading the four chapters of the Philippians. But by the time he gets to the fourth chapter, he, he is so, he's like flying in the sky. He's going, oh, oh but in everything, for example, in four, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart, heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He gets over to the 13th fourth verse of that fourth chapter. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He jumps over to the 19th verse. Near the end of his letter, he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to your, his riches and glory. Now he is in prison. He is stuck and he's telling all of us, God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. It's an attitude. It's a choice. It's a belief. Am I excited? Absolutely, I'm excited because I love the Lord. And you know why I love him? Because God is ever present. He is a refuge. He is a friend. And he has a work for us to do. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what the future holds. God has a desire to work in our life with his life. Are we willing? If we are willing, he will complete the work that he has begun. Always. He is overly resourced. <laughs> His projects don't run out of funds. <laughs> he can finish what he starts. He will, that's what he's saying. He complete, he's a completer. But he can't, <laughs> but he can't force, he could, but he won't force us. Because love compelled is not love at all. It has to be a choice. And God says, you get to choose. And the Lord says, I've given everything I can give you. I give you myself. I pay a price I did not owe. I give you my presence. I give you my promise. I give you my fellowship, even in the wounds. I will walk with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you, though I am with you always. And I will fill you with my goodness and my joy in my life, even in the places where it looks most confining to us. Even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me, Lord. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of mine enemies. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a life song. It's a life song. Lord, as we are here this morning, enveloped in the goodness of God, and when we drink the cup, it's a cup of life. I pray that we would give you a loyal heart. I pray that we would not be a people of fickle faith and people who are dominated by our circumstances and the adversity of life, but rather, Lord, that the joy and the power of God would flow through us in amazing ways and that we would be open to the things that you want to do, the visions that you have for us, the way that you have for us to go. Who can say the people we're supposed to meet this week who will be open to what we have to say on your behalf? Lord, if your work is hindered, it's because some servant would not go and would not speak. I pray that we would be open to being the vessels 
of good life that we've been meant to be. And I pray that our eyes would turn from our own selves and our own issues and our own things that we cannot control and turn to you. You who are the author and the finisher of our faith, our great reward, our refuge indeed. I pray that you'd bless these closing minutes, this song, Lord. Let it just be a closing poem, a closing psalm over us, Lord, exhorting us to love you more, to trust you better. And I ask for your blessing over our time of giving. May we honor you with that as well. And may you supply our needs according to the wealth of your glory. We pray this. Be with us, Lord, in ways that we cannot even know. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord.